Are we ready to roll? We're recording. All right, great. Yeah, it was our baby, but we managed it away from our own identity with that in mind. So that's one of the reasons we grew. Today's podcast episode is sponsored by Evergreen Salon and Spa, Oak Park's newest eco-friendly salon with amazing staff and a welcoming environment. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for more information and for our exclusive listener discount. Welcome back to That One Thing. I'm Gordon Fowler, and in today's episode, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk business strategy with a dear friend and colleague, Christy Black Davis. Christy is currently an executive vice president at Edelman, a global communications marketing firm with an office here in Sacramento. But our conversation today really centered on her experience in growing and selling Dean and Black, the public relations firm that she built with business partner Robert Dean, and where she served as co-founder and principal for 13 years. Christy shares some great insights in this episode about how to grow a business when selling is your end goal. I was fascinated by her take on developing the right mindset and heard great tips on determining what type of partnership, if any, is right when growing a business, building the right team to support your growth, and mitigating risk throughout the life of your business. So Christy, welcome to That One Thing podcast. I'm excited that you're here because you have been, for me, I know when I started Threefold, like I reached out to you. We didn't even really know each other. And whenever I just had a real issue that I needed to struggle through, we would grab drinks and go down to the porch and I'd pour my heart out and you'd give me this really good advice. So I thought I won't be selfish with that anymore. I'll share that with our listeners. How does that Well, sound? how kind of you. Yeah. I will do my best. So I can share that my, my journey was a lot like a lot of people's journey. I didn't set out to start a PR firm. Mm -hmm. I set out to be self-employed. Yeah. After having my first child, I'm going to stay home and I'm going to be a full-time mom. And, and within a couple of months, I was pulling my hair out. And so I started taking independent consulting positions. Things, opportunities were coming to me and I was doing that. And in my world, that was perfect. A lot of time to be mom and time to still be engaged in the community. And through that independent consulting, I met and started working with Robert Dean, who actually had the vision for the company, and he actually had background in public relations. And I didn't really have, well, uh, no, let me back up. I didn't know that a lot of what I was doing was considered a public relations professions uh, role. Yeah. I was working in nonprofit, and then later I was consulting in uh, special event planning and promotions and, and doing a lot of media relations publicity around that, but I never put the two and two together. Well, Robert, being much more experienced, did put two and two together, and we ended up doing some professional volunteer work together for what was then the, Sac the Sacramento Public Relations Roundtable. It became the Sacramento Public Relations Association. And through that, we found that we worked well together. When he decided to start an agency, and he had agency background, he asked if I would go into business with him. And I was very eager to do that for a couple reasons. One is by that time, it, it fast forward, it had been like three years of me being on my own. I had a whole book of clients. I was going crazy. He made... Uh, the observation that if we went into business together, my life would settle down and be a little bit more streamlined right. and easier to manage. And to this day, I still don't really forgive him for right. that because he knew darn well that wasn't going to happen. But it, <laughs> I wasn't the experienced one in agency life, right. and I bought it. So anyway, um, we threw our our collective expertise together. And this is an, a piece of advice that, that I have since shared with other people, that teaming 
in a variety of ways can be your step to success. Yeah. That anytime somebody feels like, oh, I can do it all myself, you already have made a mistake because collective expertise, collective experience, and certainly collective energy yeah. can deliver a whole different slew of results than one person working on their own. So when the two of you sat down, did you go through sort of a formal process? Like, these are my strengths, these are my experience, or was it casual conversation that sort of fell yes. out in the mix? So Robert Dean, a former U.S. Marine, is very, not only very smart, but very strategic and also very uh, structured. And so, yes, we did a, a SWOT analysis among our individual strengths, um, weaknesses. We did the market SWOT analysis and then um, looked very clearly at what are, were our areas of opportunity. During that time while we were starting to build a business together, which took a year, before we actually launched Dean and Black, we shared clients. He was independently um, working on a couple contracts. I was independently working on contracts and we started pitching together and found that not only did the pitch work, but so did the work. Yeah. And we were well-suited to work together. Something I should say, this, this may catch you by surprise, is we weren't close friends. I mean, we did really? not decide to start the business because we were good friends and, gee, we just really liked together, thought we wanted to work together. It was, oh, this is a good professional relationship where we respect each other, we have complementary skills. So I had the expertise in community relations, community development, uh, real grassroots kind of work, mm -hmm. and I had expertise in some issue areas that he didn't health, education, some other things. And he had the expertise in writing proposals. He's, he's certainly an excellent writer, and he had the expertise of how to go after state contracts yeah. from his previous experience. So that's what we combined. So you take about a year, you put your plan together, and then you decide to launch. Walk us through what it felt like. Like, what were you thinking? What were your emotions around, okay, now I'm really, I'm going in with a partner, we're launching, we've got these goals that we want to lay out. How did that feel? Uh, I remember that it was really exciting. I remember that when we first announced that we launched, we did a couple things that were crucial probably to our success. We gathered a couple other people who were independent contractors and we uh, made them, quote, associates. We didn't hire them, so there were not long-term commitments for payroll, but they were people whose skills we also respected and who had relationships we respected. And so when we launched, we were Dina Black, not just Robert and Christy, we were already an operating firm. So one of the things I was concerned about, we both were, was how would we maintain our current clients while we were pitching new business? I would observe that that's pretty much every consultant's concern. Yeah. You have to take care of what you've got in order to grow or in yeah. order to maintain your reputation. And so that was probably what I was most nervous about. How what was the transition like with your clients? So they were used to working with you, and now you say, hey, I'm going into this partnership opportunity. So uh, how did the clients react to that? Did you maintain most of them? So that's a really good question. And, you know, that goes to the heart of when you sell a client and you've got other uh, staff or associates working with you, do you hand them off or do you right. keep it, right? So as I remember, the clients were very excited, very thrilled. Oh, this is great. Whatever's going to work for you. And yes, we kept them, at yeah. least during that first year, maybe year and a half. And some of those clients I'm still working with. Wow. The power of good work, good relationships, integrity. Yeah 
do what you say you're going to do. So some of those relationships have lasted a really long time. Um, The key then was if I had promised myself, I had to still deliver. You know, and over time, as we recruited new clients, then we would make decisions right up front how they were handled. What um, type of transition did you have to go through from being on your own, making all the decisions, setting all the strategy, executing on behalf of your clients? Now you're in a partnership. What was that transition like? Because now you had somebody else you had to bring into the loop as well, right? Well, some people will tell you that that partnerships are really difficult and they would never be in a business partnership. And those observations are very valid for people who don't want to share decision-making. It it was a challenge. Uh, And to both of our credit, it was a challenge we worked through. Uh, Robert, when we started our business, was the managing partner because I had another new baby and I was working part-time. So what might have been a struggle for me in terms of giving up some of the authority or control was very easy because I wasn't working full-time. Right. You know, easy in terms of, well, of course he's going to make those decisions. I'm not there. Right. (laughs) Um, Over time, I did go back to work full-time and my book of business really grew and we changed the business model and we were both equal partners. So the flexibility Ability, uh, the ability to talk through that worked. So when you're looking as, for example, if you're a solopreneur and you're looking to expand your business, what do you think are some of the keys to identifying that partner? We've sort of talked about a couple right. of them, but what are the keys in your mind to, um, one, what are the characteristics that you would look for in a partner? And then what's the best way to approach that conversation to get that started? Well, this is, I can share with you what works for me. I don't know that I would advocate that everybody needs to go out and get a business partner in order to grow your business. So now when I use the term partner, I can say a partner in your business efforts. You may not be legal business partners. So let me just make that really clear. So uh, anybody who's a solopreneur, I love that name, um, may look at opportunities to work closely with another firm another individual, a subcontractor. So I would say what you look for is, one, do you share the same values so that you know that when you come to a point where you have to make a decision either about client service, uh, client delivery, how you're charging, what the quality of the work looks like, or even the style of the work, that you're aligned. Mm -hmm. Nothing would be more difficult in my experience than arguing with somebody who's supposed to be on your side, on your team, about what you can and can't deliver to a client, that's not good enough. Oh, it's fine, you know. And so you just make the decision up front who you will and won't work with. And my experience is you do that in small chunks. So you don't jump in, right? So you partner with somebody, you subcontract with them, or you hire them as a freelancer, or you go after a piece of business together, and during the pitch process you learn a lot. And that's when you can see, oh, these are people I can really work with. We can work through the challenging times because they're there, and we have a lot of fun through the good times. When there's a creative process, we bring out the best in each other. When there's just a business decision that has to be made, are we going to write something down? Are we going to chase them down for payment? You know, whatever it is, we're on the same page. But you learn that in little bits and pieces. What was it like in terms of recruiting staff? So what did you look for in employees and team members um, that made you so successful? That's a really good question. I would say that 
the people that we hired, the teams that we recruited was everything. You know, when you're a consultant, when you're in the service business, all you have to sell is your people. Right. Right. It's right. it's their hearts and their minds, how they think, how they work. So what we looked for were people who uh, were real self-starters. We always looked for people who had a lot of initiative. Yeah. They weren't waiting for somebody to direct every little thing. And this is even people right out of school, right? Yeah. So that that's number one. Number two, we looked for people who we felt like would complement the culture we had already developed. And so we had built this small little culture within those other associates I was talking about that was very easy to define. We were smart, we were fast, we were hungry, we had a lot of integrity. Yeah. You know, and so while there were some other firms in town that had been here longer and doing other things, we were the young go-getters, whatever it takes, and and boy did quality matter. It's like yeah. just no question. And so when we brought in other people, we looked for that. I want to observe one thing, though. We grew our company by recruiting young people right out of college that came highly recommended by their professors for having the qualities we looked at. And we would really carefully define, we're not just looking for straight-A students. We're looking for students who had other life experience. Yeah. Did they know how the world worked? Mm-hmm. Could they write? Could they think? I'd rather, much rather take a straight B student who was a go-getter that knew how to get things done than somebody who'd only studied and had never done right. anything else. So then we would recruit, in every um, term, we'd hire one or two people. We were growing fast, so we could do that. And then the, the young people or the, the students right out of school who really fit in well would tend to grow with the firm, and the other ones, they might move on. So that's the first part of it. The second part of the um, the recruiting, the hiring was over time, and this took a year or two, maybe three years, we very carefully nurtured our brand in the market, not through advertising, but through some of what many of the other firms in town do now, our, our volunteer experience. Right. We really carefully uh, put our name out there associated with the charities or the social service organizations or even the volunteer professional marketing things that were happening in town. And then we would put our staff out to help us. We always said, you're really great. You might get picked off by somebody else, but that's okay. We're not going to hide you. We want you to be out there. That is what attracted other people to come yeah. to us. So that was the second way. One was going through the universities. The second way was being out in the community and attracting the people to us that would be a good fit. They found us. Yeah. One thing um, that that sort of this whole discussion brings up, which is what I've always admired about you as well, and quite frankly, it was sort of how I grew up through the business, was really cooperating with quote unquote competition, right? Because I think so many times, and I think nowadays, there's really a trend to be very competitive against other agencies or people that are doing sort of like work. And it, get, it gets very competitive and a little underhanded. But you've been always really upfront about developing really great partnership. And I think that's what Sacramento, that can really distinguish Sacramento in the market, right? For having true cooperation. I believe that that's uh, a really good business strategy to partner and celebrate each other. I also think it's really good personally. We all learn a lot. We yeah. support each other. I've never been threatened by another firm. Instead, like you, I celebrate what they do. I'm excited about it, and I look for reasons to to operate together, to yeah. function together. And ironically, early on, 
our success was predicated on our partnerships. We were a subcontractor as a small firm without a financial track record. Um, so when we went after some state contracts, a few of them, we had to be a subcontractor. And the, um, the firm that won was the reason we won, yeah. right? And they weren't worried about us trying to take their work and vice right. versa. So we built a good portfolio of work that way. So let's talk about the growth of Dean & Black. What, before you um, sold, what were you like sort of at the peak when the company was at its peak? Uh, so we were uh, 13 years old as a legal entity when Ogilvy acquired us. So 14 years if you count yeah. that first year that we, Robert and I worked together. So by the time um, we were at our peak, maybe our 10th anniversary, which is kind of pivotal for us, uh, there were three partners. Alicia Ritter had joined us as a partner as well. And we had a couple um, vice presidents who had their own books of business. So there was one real distinguishing factor. It wasn't just about Robert and Christy. Yeah. Uh, and in fact, we had a lot of clients who didn't know either one of us or they didn't know one of us. Mm -hmm. it, it was amusing to me during those years when people would say to me in all seriousness, oh, I know Mr. Black. So that was a that was really important uh, from an entrepreneur standpoint that we were not only willing to release some of the control of client service, but we uh, intentionally did that because that was a way to grow. As long as he or I had to be responsible for every piece of business servicing it, we couldn't grow. There's right. a limit to how many hours in the day. So Alicia, who had started as a staff person, was very smart, really competent, you know, very successful. Clients liked her. She bought in as a client. It was all, by that time we were a corporation, we're no longer a partnership. Right. Um, so it was all legal, you right. know, and so right. she, she had shares. And then we had Two other people, uh, eventually then three, who were really, really good, and the clients trusted them, and uh, they were promoted to officer level, and they managed a lot of work. Yeah. Okay, so then move forward. We observed that to distinguish ourselves in the market, it would be good to have offices in every major media market in the state. When I say in the market, I mean in the kind of work we did. Right. So we opened an office in Los Angeles, we opened one in San Diego, and we opened one in San Francisco. Now, you know, as an entrepreneur, you don't just wake up one day and open offices. Right. It's expensive. You have to have the right people. But that was our business plan. Right. How are we going to cover the major media markets so when we go after state contracts or other big private sector contracts, we can say, yeah, other people can do media relations or community outreach or community development in those markets. We actually live there. Right. We get it. Right. And it was a way to... Um, also opened up new business opportunities because we had offices in those places. So then the company, you reach your sort of the height that's been 10 years and you start thinking about maybe selling the company. What was that like? I mean, just thinking even like with threefold, like this is what I've invested sort of heart and soul and, you know, 18 hours a day for now for us, this is we're in our 14th year. Um, and then just to think about selling that, like walk us through sort of what you were thinking, what emotions, and then why ultimately did you decide it would be a good idea to sell? Well, you know, it's really interesting, and I have to give Robert the credit for this too. When we started, we discussed building something that would have value outside of us to sell. Yeah. And I So you started thinking that the end goal would be a sale. Yeah, I remember my mindset was a little different. I had a newborn. Yeah. I started thinking, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? Right. <laughs> he was clear thinking. But oh, I mean, when we planned it and then over time as we grew, 
we wanted to have something of value that we could sell. And I think that probably made a difference yeah. in uh, what you were just talking about. My baby, my, yeah, it was our baby, right. but we managed it away from our own identity with that in mind. So that's one of the reasons we grew. Mm -hmm. One of the reasons we had a, a, other partners, we had other vice presidents, we had, it was so we would have that value. And there were times where we would kind of veer off, well, are we going to sell or are we not? But certainly by year 10, maybe even a little bit earlier than that, we knew, okay, if we're going to sell, now we need to start managing it for sale. So there How was- How is that different from managing to retire or to own? Well, it's really, really clear. So if you're managing to retire, you are building the profits and putting them in your own retirement, yeah. right? So you're taking whatever profits every year because you never know the years are going to go up and down. You've got a really good financial advisor. You're putting them in good retirement funds. You're divesting your portfolio so that all of your resources aren't in one business, right. you know, so yours, right. you know, and so you're set up, right? You might even be looking at, okay, well, when I don't want to work here anymore, what am I doing? Or when I can't work here, are my employees going to take it? You start kind of thinking that right. too. But really, you're getting solid financially outside of your business. If you're looking to um, grow the business, you're putting all your money right back in. And that's what we did. Mm -hmm. We didn't take a lot out. We grew it with opening new locations. We grew it with paying our staff really well. We grew it by recruiting the senior team. Uh, that was a very deliberate decision. And, and frankly, there were some years it was a little bit of a challenge, like, gee, yeah. it would be kind of nice to, to take do some profit taking here, but we are investing. And that was done on purpose so that we would have that statewide footprint made us right. very attractive to buyers. Okay. And then the next piece was when we were ready to sell, now we have to start investing in our profits. Mm. We can't keep the growth. We have to show a healthier bottom line because yeah. it's really nice not to have a lot of profits to pay taxes on when right. you're looking at your end of the year taxes right. and when you're looking at your footprint and you got 50 employees and nobody's going anywhere. They're well paid and they like their job and we pay for their professional development and all those things we reinvested in the company. We had to start reinvesting in our bottom line. Right. We also consulted with an M&A firm and we ended up hiring one to help us get our books in order because we said, okay, we we know we want to sell. Mm -hmm. We don't know, we don't know. Oh, and we did a couple other things. And this is back to the whole partnership model. We consulted with a, a marketing professor from Sac State who had done some of the um, advising to firms about small business acquisition and sales. We consulted with some attorneys. We consulted with some CPAs. It was just information gathering, like you would do in your business, right? right? You said, okay, before we start a campaign, we always do information gathering. Let's do that for us. And then we came to the point where we want to be serious. We want our finances to look good. We want everything legally to be buttoned down. And by this time, Robert, Alicia, and I were all on board. Right. And we knew this is what we wanted to do. So we started managing to have a, a better bottom line, which meant the expansion stopped. Because right. when you expand, stopped. then all those that profits are going into the expansion. Yes. Yeah. Got it. And then the time comes where an offer's on the table, how did you know the right firm to sell to? Because I would imagine what could be going through your mind is, how are they going to treat our employees long-term? Are they going to maintain the culture that we've established? 
Did you have those kind of discussions when somebody was looking at your business? Uh, yeah, that's a that's a really good question, and, and that's an important point. I think that was as important to us as anything in terms of the financial. Sure. So that's where I agree with you about, oh, my baby, It's these people are really important to me. Yeah. They were important to Robert. They were important to Alicia. They were... They had given their heart and soul to the business right. as well. So we found Ogilvy in the same way they, they found us is through a, a partnership. We shared some work. So we had a year or two of working with them on a couple things. I thought, these guys are really smart, a lot of integrity. We really like them. That could be good. So then when the discussion started about acquisition, we already felt good about that. Yeah. And speaks to your point, even initially when we were talking about solopreneurs and thinking about going into a partnership is, you know, you said sort of take it in small chunks first. Right. So it seems to me like that's been a thread that's gone through your entire career. Like you've taken great partnership opportunities in small chunks and then grown that. You did that to grow Dean and Black. And then when you're looking at then um, selling the business to Ogilvy, you started with small chunks with a project with who eventually would be the company that bought you. And that's exactly right, Gordon. The, the distinction that I want to make is we weren't thinking when we partnered with them that they might acquire us. Right. So that we didn't go into that dating relationship thinking that. And I don't know that they did either. It was more we just need this. But that that was in the late 90s. The idea that we might be acquired by them wasn't our reason for partnering. Yeah. You know, so that, that did make a big but difference. But you had tried it out and it worked so that then yes. when the idea did come up, you had some sense. experience. You had a little bit of a track record. And there's another piece in there, Gordon, that I didn't talk about that was really important during those years. That initial Edelman experience with that work that we did led us to become the Sacramento affiliate of what was then the Edelman Network. So we became a part of a group of entrepreneurs throughout the country who were small businesses like we were that did work with Edelman. Yeah. Right. During that time, we observed from a lot of those other businesses what they went through when they were trying to grow and when they were in throes of discussions about acquisition. So I want to also stress how important it is to find those like-minded individuals yeah. outside of your market. Here in the Sacramento region, we have people who are active in um, the entrepreneur organizations. We have people active in CEO organizations, national or international marketing organizations. That is so important. Yeah. You can really ground yourself in terms of what's real and what's right and how the industry is working. And you can also open your eyes to possibilities you would never think of. Yeah. And that group, many of whom I'm still very good friends with, opened our eyes to a lot of things that then really uh, worked for us when yeah. we entered those uh, acquisition discussions. Yeah. I think I just have one sort of final thing. And then I want to end with my favorite Christie quote. <laughs> because it's just, it's like my favorite thing. I say it all the time. But um, I want to talk to you very, very briefly about risk, because these are the conversations that you and I have personally when I'll be examining something and we sit down. What in your mind goes through risk? And you always talk to me about calculated risk. Like mm -hmm. everything's a risk, but then there's the calculations that go behind it. For people that are wondering about some business decision that they have out there, which probably hits us every day, and some risk is involved, what did you do? Sort of what thought process would you go through when you were looking at taking a risk? So I think first would be uh, who would be impacted by this. So from a business standpoint, whether I was a, a sole provider or an entrepreneur, which I was for a long time before Dana Black, or that, or then working for a publicly traded company with Ogilvy, or now on my own. So when I'm 
looking at risk, number one is who else is going to be impacted? So when I'm evaluating the risk, because I'm willing to accept some risk on my own that I maybe wouldn't put onto somebody else. Good point. Number two, when I'm making decisions in the business about whether it was the expansion or going after a piece of business, if this fails, will something good still come out of it? Wow. So there were risks that we took with Dina Black and that Remember, that was just one small part of my entrepreneur world. I was an entrepreneur for 20 years. And now for 15, I've been employed by huge mega conglomerate companies. So there's a different risk there, right? So my risk has always been a risk evaluation. If this fails, what have I lost? You know, so money, time, I I refuse. I'm not going to lose a hit on my reputation. So if I'm going to go into this, I'm going to give it my best shot. Right. Your reputation and your word is all you have, yeah. right? Um, if I'm going to lose some money, can and this is the business decision, are we going to be okay? Am I still going to make payroll? Right. You know, can I afford? To can do I this? afford to do this? Yeah. So, if there was a risky decision about new business or bringing in somebody to work with us that we'd never worked with before, uh, we would err on the side of transparency and we would tell them. Mm-hmm. So, I think that openness and honesty with our staff or with our business partners was really important. Now it's not just a shared risk, it's a shared understanding. Right. So they and would, a shared commitment. A shared commitment. Then they would know why we were doing it. So, for example, opening the other offices, that was risky. Okay, here's why we're doing it. Here's what it's going to mean. Here's why we won't be here. And we tried to couch almost everything in the business with, and here's what this means to you. Yeah. You have to think about people's self-interest. So if you have staff who's worried, oh, my God, what does this mean about my job? Well, now they're going to start looking for other work or they're not going to be paying attention to work because they're nervous. So instead, it's here's the risk. Here's the calculated decision, which reminds me, we used to bring the staff in every year, as you do, and a lot of firms do, for a year ahead business planning strategy session. So sometimes those risks would be discussed the year in advance and then they could be a part of it. Right. Really awesome. So it is so great. Like, I've been looking forward to this because we're friends and because I admire and respect you so much. But this is my favorite Christie quote, which you're probably not going to even remember. But Christie and I went to the track and field championships, right? Just to support it the community. It was hot. We it sat on the hot. field. We watched people run right. and said, it's a good thing we're not runners. Right. <laughs> and Christie said, oh, this was after, you know, really hot temperatures and we're just like exhausted just sitting there. And Christy turns to me and she goes, um, we don't run, but we support those that do. <laughs> yes. And I thought, doesn't that just sum up life, right? It does, like yes. you can't do everything. Like we can't all be runners, but we can support those that do. And I think yes. that goes back to that thread that you have with openness and transparency and partnership and cooperation versus competition. And to me, it's just like the Christie quote. I say it all the time. I quote you all the time because I think it totally fits. Well, you're right. I've never run for office and I don't intend to, but I can support those who do that have values that I support. I can't be the person who does all the social service things that I wish I could, but I support those who do. Yeah, I just, I'm so excited. I'm so excited for Sacramento. I'm so excited for everything we're all about and to support the people who are doing the good things, whether it's running or it's, you know, building a new project or doing new interesting things uh, to help the homeless or whatever it is. I'm happy to support them because I can't do it myself. Right. Awesome. And with those wise words, we are over and out for the session. So, Chrissy, thanks so much for being on. Thank you, Gordon. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll have to do it again. We will. 
I always find Christy's perspective on partnership and collaboration refreshing, and I've gained so much from our conversations over the years. I hope that you found some inspiration in today's episode and that what you heard sparked that one thing that you can apply to your day, your life, or your business. Our sponsor today is Evergreen Salon and Spa. It's a new full-service salon and spa located in historic Oak Park. I thought I'd bring Taylor to come in and talk with me about Evergreen Salon and Spa because Taylor is all things fashion and very stylish. So Taylor, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. So Evergreen offers everything from hair to nails, facials, waxing, eyelash extensions, lash lifts, microblading, and sunless tanning. One of the coolest things about them is that they're natural and eco-friendly. They're even a green circle salon, which means that they recycle everything from extra color to foil and even hair. They have natural hair specialists and their nail polish and gels are are organic and non-toxic. The staff is super professional yet laid back. The owners are some of the nicest people we know, and they've done a great job creating a welcoming, mellow, and relaxing vibe in the salon. So Evergreen Salon and Spa opened about a year ago and have rave reviews from clients, mainly about the quality of their staff and services, as well as the great atmosphere that they've created. Check them out online for more information and to book an appointment at evergreensalonandspa.com. And that one thing listeners get a 10% discount off products when you mention this ad at the salon. <laughs> 